It's a, a very famous passage. Probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And uh, many of you know it, learn it when you're small. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And as much as anything, you know, that shows, this verse shows us just the expansiveness of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. And it's amazing to me. I can't love more than, or intimately love more than a handful. But, but God can fit the whole world in his heart. And when I think about that sometimes, I think about a famous painting of Jesus being crucified. It's this one here. Uh, it's not working. You'll have to help me out. It's this one here. Jesus crucified hanging over the world, or over a lake at least, but over the world. This is the love of Christ. Jesus loving the world. And uh, all seven and a half billion of us these days, every tribe and tongue, every nation, it's why Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. It's why he refers to himself a few times as the saviour of the world. It's why John the Baptist referred to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think, man, his heart is that big. And of course, we're living in days when God is moving over nations of the world. It's incredible hearing what God is doing in places like South America where tens of thousands are coming to Jesus. Or we read about Africa and see uh, prayer meetings of hundreds of thousands of people gathering to worship him. It's magnificent. It's huge. Or we hear about what God is doing through Asia and Southeast Asia. Or, uh, and sometimes in places that you wouldn't expect. I mean, the fastest growing church in the world right now is, anybody say where it is? Iran. Iran, the fastest growing church in the world. This is the God who loves the world. Someone once said that we're living in days of the greatest outpouring of God's Spirit since creation. For God so loves the world. And yet the early disciples understood something else too, and it's this. It's not that Jesus so loved the world that he died for it and loved it, but he also loves me. He also loves you. It's that sense of intimacy. Not just the world, but me. And he expressed the depth of that love by dying, just not, not just for the world, but for you personally. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2, he says this, he loved me and gave himself for me. This is the Apostle Paul. And of course, Paul wasn't one of the original 12 and never really spent time with Jesus as a person as he walked the earth physically. But Paul understood. He died for me. He loved me. And this is so important for us to understand, isn't it? I mean, we live, no matter how small or unimportant we can sometimes feel, because we can sometimes feel very unimportant, I mean, let's face it, the world around us is constantly blaring at us that we aren't worth very much at all. I mean, just think about the advertising industry for a second. You know, on the TVs, the movies, the magazines, the billboards, you know, they're all filled with people who will always look much more beautiful, quotes, than you or I. And many of them always seem to be so much more, quotes, happy than you or I. I mean, just some of the adverts. And I'm watching that, what's that lady? She's a Briscoe's person. The lady who does Briscoe's? I mean, she looks so jolly happy, doesn't she? She just grins. All because she brought a duvet half price at Briscoe's. 
I think when I buy a duvet at half price, I don't feel like she does. <laughs> or the Trivago lady. You know that lady who looks so chic and so smug? All right? Because I mean, she's so fulfilled and in control. Why? Because she knows how to get a cheap hotel. <laughs> I think, what is that about? Wherever you look, you're always reminded, we're always reminded that we're not one of the beautiful people. You know, we're kind of e economy class. We're in the back of the bus. We're part of the crowd. And then if that's not enough, it's like whatever we do have in terms of our individuality is being snaffled up by the system, you know, or the establishment. You know, that, that dehumanizing system that seems to take away our personality and reduce us to statistics, a number. This first came to me years ago when I was phoning my insurance company and I opened the conversation like I would anywhere. I said, hello, my name is Pete Hanari. But before I got past the hen, she cut it and said, but what's your number? What's your policy number? And I sort of repeated myself, well, you know, my name is Pete Hanari. No, no, your number. I said, I was going to tell you my number, but I wanted to tell you who I am. <laughs> and then later I remember phoning the IRD and when I finally got through to a person... I never got as far as the hen. It was, what's your number? And I felt so reduced to a number. And I thought, what? I'm thinking, but I'm a person. I'm not a number. I'm not a postcode. I'm not a statistic. I'm not even a people group. I'm a person. I'm Pete. Part of the dehumanizing establishment that we're part of. And then to add it all up, you know, sometimes our family history can kind of take away from us too. You know, just some of us have been through tough, tough histories feeling passed over or rejected or trampled or not part of the group. You know, we can feel pretty worthless and unimportant sometimes. But here we read Paul, he loved me and gave himself for me. In fact, whether you know it or not, someone has died for you out of love for you. I used to think no one had died for me. But the Bible's clear. Someone has died for you out of love for you. Wow. And I guess my hope this morning is that this would impact you and draw you to respond to this loving God. I like what John Piper says. John Piper, he says this, the measure of God's love for us is shown by the degree of his sacrifice in saving us from our sin. In other words, the fact that Jesus died for you personally reflects just how much he loves you and how much you mean to him. And that makes sense, doesn't it? What we are prepared to sacrifice or pay tells us how much we really value someone or something. As an example of this, I want you to try and picture a scenario with me. All right, I want to show up a, a little picture here. Uh, if you know it, don't know what that is, that's a sewage treatment plant. All right, those big pools, those big vats. You often find them outside of the town because we don't like having them in the town because they smell and they're full of human waste, just being polite. Well, imagine this. Imagine one lovely spring summer's day. You get on your bike and you go off pedaling out into the countryside and you come across one of those. If the wind's blowing in the wrong direction, you can usually smell them. But you see one and so you pedal a bit faster because you don't want to get anywhere near this vat or this pool of human sewage. Well, imagine this, you're cycling and you hear a little quack, quack, quack. And you look around, where's this quack coming from? And it's a little baby duckling flapping around in the sewage getting more and more tired. Now, the name of this game is, what would you do? 
How many of you would park your bike, get off it, climb into the pool and wade your way through that human sludge and save that little duckling? Hands up, who would do that? The rest of you are so heartless. What if it was a little kitten, you know? Meow, help, help. Hands up if you would rescue it then. Oh, Nairi, well, there's a few there. What if it was a puppy? Yelp, help, yelp. Hands up. Oh, Lord, help this people, Lord. They're so lacking in compassion. <laughs> what if it was a little baby? Yeah, yeah. If it was a baby child, well, of course, we'd get off our bikes. We'd step into that sea of sludge. We'd wade our way through. We'd save that little child, and we'd take it back. Why? Because we value the life of a child far more than our cleanliness or our convenience. Fact is, Jesus, before all eternity, living in holiness and glory and splendor, surrounded by countless angels worshipping him in purity. He stepped out of glory and into a world which, which by comparison to that was worse than a sewage treatment plant. He stepped into this world, this sad, tragic, sinful world. The king of glory, God the son, stepped in and became a man. And just by the mere act of that, becoming a man was a humiliation if you think about it. He is the God of glory. Philippians 2, 7 says that Jesus emptied himself and made himself nothing in order to become a man and walk this sinful world. And he didn't even become a glorious man. Isaiah 53 says this, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, there was nothing special in the way he looked. You've got to get out of your mind the Hollywood films of Christ walking the earth. You know, some of those films, I remember in the 70s in particular, there was that film where Jesus is kind of walking a few feet off the ground, looking so incredibly godly with piercing blue eyes that never blink throughout the whole film. And I know that because I watched the whole film to see if he would do that. He didn't blink. That's not Jesus. No. He was average in appearance. You would have missed him in a crowd. And he went to a cross. I know we've been thinking a lot about the cross lately, Julie and I, as we've been talking, and what it really meant for, for the Son of God who spun out the stars into space and who upholds all things to hang there in humiliation and naked. I mean, get out of your minds the polite, romantic paintings of him with a cloth around him. Jesus was naked. He had nothing on, gasping for breath, hour after hour in front of everyone. So humiliating and tortuous and embarrassing and carrying the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. Not because we had done anything to deserve it. We hadn't. The Bible's clear. We were stuck in the sewage vat of independence and greed and sin. Now he died on the cross not because of, of, of what we deserve but because of who we are, and even more so, who he is. Because he is full of love. He is full of mercy. He is full of kindness. And he died for you 
personally to pull you out of that pool of sewage and bring you into the family of God forever. Hallelujah. Praise God. He loved me and gave himself for me. So in one sense, you know, it doesn't really matter what the world thinks of you. Look, you may never get to the top of your career. You may never get the first prize. You may never earn enough to get more than, or a, more than one car in the driveway or any car in the driveway. You may never reach the expectations of those around you. But you know what? In eternal terms and in quality terms, it doesn't matter because most important thing is the, the thing that brings life and joy and peace and, and, and freedom now is that he loves you and gave his life for you. I am loved by God himself. And you see, those who are getting baptized today, you know, really, in effect, what they're saying is, he gave himself for me, and as for me, I'm giving my life back to him. That's what's happening. And so, as we pull them under, it's like, he died for me. And as we raise them back up again, it's like, I'm now living for him. There's a whole new life. It's a beautiful moment, which is why when we bring them up from baptism, of course, when they stand up again... We spend a bit of time praying for them because it's a beautiful moment and, and God's love, God's spirit will come upon them and God will meet with them in the pool. So God loves you and gave himself for you. The question, of course, is always, will you respond to that love? And I sometimes think, who wouldn't want to? You see, to reject Jesus and his love means we live the rest of our lives alone and without God in the world. And if we continue to reject Jesus, what it means is that we die on our own and without God in the world. We die in our sin, taking it with us forever alone and without God. It's not really an option to me, it seems. It's like, who would would want to reject his love? And he's here right now and he's calling you. And maybe you've never made that step of saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. I want to respond to that love. I want to say, come in and be my Lord. And those stories that we've been hearing, how God has changed their lives, come and change my life. And as Clarice was giving her testimony, come and touch me. I need your healing. I need the freedom that only you can bring. He's here to give that even now, even today. Who would not want to respond to that love? Let's stand, shall we? Hallelujah. Let's stand. My mum always said it was a rude thing to talk about someone who was in the room. The Lord Jesus is here by his Holy Spirit. And even now he's calling you to come closer. And I know that because he calls everybody to come closer. And maybe you've been living your life away from him, far away. Maybe you've kind of dipped in and out of church occasionally. Or maybe you've kind of grown up in church but never really thought, does he love me? Like Alex's story. He wants to come and show you that love even this morning. So I'm going to pray. He wants to come in to save. And I loved Lee's talk last week. I heard the recording. Wow. Save in the full sense of the word. Save spiritually. He wants to save emotionally, mentally, physically. 
wants to come in and say, He loves you and He died for you. He is the God who saves. We're going to sing the song. And as we sing the song, make it more than just words. It's a prayer. Pray it. And as you pray it, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to meet with us. And you may have words that God gives you for other people. There'll be opportunity to share them. But if you've never asked Jesus into your life, why would you not want to respond? What's holding you back? You can respond this morning. Even in a song. Let's sing it, shall we? Thanks, guys.